This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning. Hope you're all cooling down. It's been a little hot the past few days. I, um, there's people who say things to me like, Stop complaining about the heat because in the middle of January, you're going to be wishing, you know, that it was summertime. And I say, never once in the middle of January have I thought to myself, boy, I wish I was sitting in a blazing furnace right now. (laughs) So you're all crazy. Um, I wish it was January because I'm crazy like that. I'm from upstate New York, so cut me some slack. That's the way we roll up there. Three feet snowfalls and everything. We love it. Um... So I don't know if you've had those moments where you're with a coworker or with a friend, maybe you're sitting in the kitchen with your spouse and she's scrolling through her phone on a computer on Facebook and you suddenly, she speaks up and says, hey, uh, did you hear about the pastor who fell again in the sin? And I don't know if you do this, but in the back of your mind, you're like, oh man, I hope it's not one of our guys. And then years go on, and eventually, it is one of your guys. Happened to one of our guys, didn't it? And the news broke that James McDonald had disqualified himself from ministry because of a lot of very egregious sins. And I look back on just the past couple years, and You have stories of men who we looked up as uh, godliness and examples, people that we listened to and strived after, men whose names still carry this weight, like Mark Driscoll or Bill Hybels. And you go back a little further, and some of you may not remember this because you're just way too young, but if I, some of you, I mentioned the name Jim Baker. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Or Jimmy Swaggart. Men who claim to preach the word, and then they crash and burn. There's something deeply painful when a church leader fails. And sometimes you see it in institutional failures. failures. You know, the recent article that came out in the Atlantic about the Southern Baptist Convention and and the sex abuse scandal that was going on in a lot of churches, and you think to yourself, where were, where were the leaders in those moments? Where were the men who were supposed to stop this stuff from happening? You don't have to look very far into church history, and you see men who claim to preach the word using scripture to support slavery. The Spanish Inquisition The Crusades, all led by men who were supposed to be leaders, and they fail. Sometimes it gets really personal, doesn't it? Sometimes a leader has failed you personally. Maybe your pastor fell into sin. Maybe a church leader gossiped about you. Maybe you were given wrong and ungodly advice that caused serious damage by someone who claimed to be speaking scripture. Maybe you were told something hurtful. Maybe you were personally manipulated or lied to. 
emotionally abused, spiritually abused by someone who claimed to be a man of God, who claimed to be your shepherd. And it hurts deep. Now we've been working through a series here called When Church Hurts. And we've talked about the reality of church hurts. We talked about um, one of the key, I think, roots of a lot of church hurt, which is gossip. We talked about conflict resolution. And these are all interpersonal things that we deal with from brother to brother, brother to sister in Christ. But there's something unique and something painful when the man that God has called to be your shepherd fails you. Why does that happen? And what makes it so unique? What do we do about it? What do we do? What do you do with the pain that's there from that person who has failed you? Why do the people that we expect to be most like Jesus and preach the word fall and do the exact opposite? And why does it keep happening over and over and over again? Well, this morning I want to look at four concepts from Scripture that I think will help us respond biblically to the failures of our leaders. And I do want to make one caveat going into our message this morning. I know that there are some very deep hurts that I can't address in just one sermon. Some of you have hurts that are uh, so deep that you may need counseling, and I want you to know that we're here for you. We have counselors who want to meet with you. So the things we're going to talk about this morning um, are overarching biblical principles, but if you are one of those people who have deep, deep hurts and you may need some extra help, um, our pastors, our counselors in this church are here to help you work through that. But for most of us, our hurt doesn't go that deep, um, but we still need help with this. So we're going to look at four concepts this morning. Before I do that, I do want to pray one more time that the spirit would be over our message today. So let's pray. God, we're aware that many of us here harbor deep pain because men we have trusted have failed. But we're also aware that you know that. I pray that even this morning that some, somebody here who is deeply hurt would start to find healing. And those of us who maybe not have experienced that hurt will be prepared for it if it happens, but also come alongside those who are hurting and continue to remind us, remind each other of your truth. Let your word go forth this morning and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at four concepts this morning to help us deal with our failed leaders biblically. The first one is this. We're going to look at the design of godly leadership, the design of godly leadership. I want you all to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 17. The author of Hebrews writes this, speaking to the church, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, 
for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Here's what I want us to understand that le- is this, is leadership is a good, necessary, and God-ordained role. Leadership is a good, necessary, and God-ordained role. This text implies that there will be leaders in the church. God, from the beginning of creation, has always had a plan to use humans to use men as leaders. And you can look back at the whole Old Testament and you can trace person after person, humans that God has called up to lead his people from Abraham to Moses to the judges to the kings of Saul, David, Solomon, to the prophets, to the apostles, to Paul and Barnabas. God has called human leaders to shepherd his sheep until Christ returns. It's a good thing. It's his part of his plan. But when God calls men, he calls them with a weighty responsibility. Our leaders have the responsibility of character and they have a responsibility of actual work to do. Hebrews 13, the passage we just read, tells us that, he, that our, our leaders are to serve with joy. And they need to have a clear conscience. What this means is that your leaders, your pastors, aren't supposed to be having a pattern of habitual sin in their lives. That's what a clear conscience is. The Apostle Paul writes to his protege in 1 Timothy that leaders should have a good reputation in and out of the church. They should serve honorably. They should love and lead their families well. This is all the responsibility of a leader. This is what God has designed And he's called them for a specific work. In the church, the work of a leader, the work of your pastors and shepherds, your elders, is to teach and preach the word. To train up for the work of the ministry, to watch over the souls of the flock, and to pray for you. These are good things that God has designed. And we need them. We need people to lead us. Why? Because the church is called on a mission. The church's mission is to go and make disciples. And that's the mission of our church. Who knows the mission of our church? Everybody, hopefully you do. We say it a lot. Say it with me if you know it. We exist to glorify God by making disciples through the power of the gospel. Right? And we need leaders to help us get there. The Bible calls us sheep. You guys ever seen sheep kind of try to figure it out on their own? They don't do very well. Right? Do you know that you can scare a sheep to death, right? That's how, that's how like helpless they are. You go up to sheep, you scare them, they fall over dead. They need a shepherd, right? And the Bible calls us sheep, so we need shepherd to help us accomplish our mission. We don't know what to do without help. But because God is so serious about his need for biblical, godly leaders. He's, he's designed accountability for leaders in this good design he's created. Every leader will stand before the throne of God and give an account. James 3 once says this. He commends the, the church that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
It's a serious calling, this leadership thing, to be a shepherd of God's people. Again, in Hebrews 13, 17, the passage we just read, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. As those who will have to give an account. Doug, myself, Jamie, Adam, when we stand before the throne of God, God will hold us accountable for every word that we say to you, for every action in our life and how we shepherd this body. That's what this text says. Because of this, we're commanded as elders to watch over our character and our doctrine. First Timothy, again, protege of Paul, was told this, keep a close watch over yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. I want you to know, church, that your elders here at Redemption take this passage very, very seriously. On a very practical level, we have been implementing some things and been doing some things for a while now to obey God's command here. Just a brief list of some things that we do as elders to watch our doctrine and our teaching and our character. First of all, is we have transparency in all our financial dealings. If you've ever been to a family chat, we do those once a quarter, you get a little piece of paper, two pieces of paper usually, lots of numbers that I have a hard time understanding, so I asked Luke to clarify it for me. That's called our budget. We don't hide our numbers from you. You know exactly where our money is going. The money that you give to support this ministry in your tithes and offerings, we don't hide that. Our pastors have an open door policy among a number of other things, so that way they can be above reproach when it comes to their character. Every elder is required to be in a small group because we need you building into our lives. We've installed deacons because we want our pastors and our elders to focus on teaching and prayer. And again, we have those quarterly flaming chats where the whole church comes and you can hear exactly what's going on. We want to be transparent. And there's a whole host of other things that I haven't even talked about because we take this seriously because God has strong, clear expectations for his leaders. High expectations. But if we're honest, we also have expectations, don't we? You have expectations for your leaders. Now, some of our expectations line up with God's expectations, and they're right, and they're good, and that's awesome. But if we're honest with ourselves, we also have expectations that do not line up with God's expectations. Sometimes we expect more from our leaders than what God has commanded our leaders to do. Sometimes we expect them to be or do something other than what God has called them to do and be. So my question for you this morning is, what are your expectations for your leaders? What are they? Do they line up with God's expectations? Do your expectations line up with God's expectations? I want you to own this 
I want you to own this. I want you to say, I will set my expectations for my leaders based on God's design for leadership. I will set my expectations for my leaders based on God's design for leadership because God's design is good and it's right. The first concept that I want us to understand is that. The next concept that we want to look at this morning is the devastation caused by failed leadership. The devastation caused by failed leadership. Now, uh, this picture here is um, from Tony, is of Tony Shea. That's right, that's how you spell his last name, Tony Shea. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure. I'd find a YouTube clip so they could tell me how it's pronounced. Uh, Tony Shea, he's the CEO of Zappos, and Tony Shea was kind of this uh, prodigy CEO, kind of a young guy, and he came up with this really cool idea back, oh, probably about 10 years at this point, and he wanted to be really innovative, so he said, hey, in my uh, corporation, um, things get bogged down in the hierarchy of trying to, like, get approval from this guy and this guy and going up the chain, so what we're going to do is we're just going to get rid of all titles, all titles, we're all equals here at this corporation. And he calls it a holacracy. A holacracy. So he wanted like this collaborative atmosphere. There was no private offices. It was like this big, you know, working environment. It sounds very like millennial and cool and hipster a little bit. Like we're all happy here. We're all working together. And it sounded like a great idea, right? Like we can make decisions. Um, the problem was that within a year, the company had a 30% turnover rate. That's 10 percentage points higher than the national average. People were leaving the company in droves. And it sounds great in theory, right? Everybody has the ability to make a decision. I don't have to get approval from the guy up the chain, right? And it's really great for the person who's really smart and good at making decisions. Well, but what about Larry from accounting? That guy can't even get his socks to match. And you want him making a decision for your company? What's interesting to me about this story is that they revealed two fascinating issues. Number one is that we need leaders, don't we? We have to have them. We can't not. Things fall apart when we don't, as Tony Shea discovered. But number two is this. What happens when a leader makes a bad decision? Zappos started to really struggle financially. And it's kind of humorous, a little sad for the people who needed to find a new job from Zappos, but it's really serious when it happens in the church. We need leaders, but what do we do when they fail us? Listen, every leader that God raises up before the return of Christ will fail at some point. Now, there is a spectrum of failure, right? So there's like serious sins that disqualify you from ministry, right? And I'm not saying that every leader is going to completely go off the rails. But every leader, because we're human and we're sinners, will fail at some point. Just so I'm not making this up, and you think that I'm crazy, turn to Romans 3.23. You guys know this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And it's really easy to forget that our spiritual leaders are not exceptions to the Bible's claim about the nature of man, right? And it's really easy to forget that because your leaders will stand up on the stage and preach God's word in their Sunday best and say really, really good things, godly things. And we expect them to actually live by the things that they're preaching. And that's right. That's good to expect that. Because when they're not living that, we call that hypocrisy, right? But Romans 3, 23 says all. And what does all mean? All means all. Are there any exceptions to all? Paul also writes in Romans 3, 10, quoting Psalm 53, there is none that is righteous. No, not one. This is the reality of leadership in a fallen world. It's just, it's the reality. And if we go back and look at all those leaders from scripture that I talked about before, people that we hold up as, man, that guy really knew what to do. You look at their life, Abraham, he lied about who his wife was. He doubted God's ability to be faithful to his commandments. You look at Moses, had a real anger problem, murdered an Egyptian. David, I mean, Israel to this day still longs for a king like David, committed adultery, murdered somebody to cover it up completely passive towards sins against his own kids. Even Peter, who Christ said, on this rock I will build my church, doubted. He lied. He capitulated in his belief about whether Gentiles could be in the church or not without being circumcised. These are all people that we look up to as leaders in Scripture, and they failed. But do you ever wonder why leaders tend to be at such high risk for moral failure? Ever like come through your mind like, why is that? I think there's a couple reasons. Um, first of all, leaders don't play by different rules. Did you know that? <laughs> like when they wake up in the morning, they put on pants the same way you do, right? They face the same struggles you do. They face the same temptations you do. And they don't have a different set of rules that they play by. They face the same battles. They're different battles, but they're the same. But leaders are in a real war against spiritual forces. Listen, our enemy isn't stupid. He's been around for a couple millennia. He's seen what works. And just like in an army in a battlefield, if you can take out the leader, that causes a lot of damage. So every leader, every person that stands in front of a local body of Christ has a big old target on his back. And guess who has a sight set on that target? The enemy does. And the more influence and power a leader has, the easier it is for them to fall into sin. Because unfortunately, often leaders tend to fight alone. You know the saying, 
it's lonely at the top. And when you're alone, there's no accountability. And it's really, really easy, especially because you have the power now to get what you want. And they're prone to fail. It's those reasons and many more that why leadership failure hurts so bad. Leaders have significant influence. See, sin never happens in isolation. You may think that your sin or a leader's sin happens in some corner and nobody's ever going to find out, but sin always spills out into the light. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. So a leader's sin will be exposed. And sin is always relational. Every sin that you commit, every sin that a leader commits is relational. It affects other people. And because a leader, a shepherd, a pastor has so many relationships, because he's in a leadership position, every sin that he commits is going to affect a vast more number of people. And leaders are also our examples. We, we intuitively know that leaders point the way by words and actions. In fact, often when a leader fails an example, they preach one thing, they do another, it causes us, causes us to question whether what they were saying was true at all. I mean, if they aren't living it, maybe it's not even real. And so often we see person after person after person leave the church, walk away from the faith because the person that they looked up to as that example crashed and burned. Maybe it wasn't real after all. Leaders also have our trust. Trusting someone is no small thing. We give a part of ourselves when we trust someone. And we trust our leaders to take us to the right place, to, to lead us to where we're supposed to go. And when they don't get us there, that trust is broken. And because we trust them, leaders have our hope. And so often we tend to place our hope in leaders not just to take us to the solution to our problem, but to be the solution. And unfortunately, often our, our leaders, our shepherds, forget that they're to take us to the Messiah, not be the Messiah. Because we long for a Messiah to fix our problems, right? How many of you are waiting for somebody to step in and fix the issue going on in your life? I know I am. I've got some issues. Boy, would I like somebody to step in and fix that. And when a person stands up and preaches the word and says really great things and gives you really, really great pointers, it's so easy to think that person can fix it. And when that leader stands up and receives the 
commendation and admiration of people saying, hey, you're helping me fix their problems. It's so easy to start to think that I am fixing the problems. Really, if we're honest, so much of our hurt, the reason it hurts so bad when a leader fails us is because we have expectations and that leader hasn't met them. And some are false expectations, some are legitimate expectations, but too often we treat our leaders as functional saviors. So what do we do about it? How do we course correct in this area? I'm going to give you six tips here, or five tips, I'm sorry. Five tips, and you can write these down. First is this, don't lower your expectations, adjust them. What I mean by that is this, it is right and good to demand biblical leadership. It is right and good to demand biblical leadership from your shepherds, from your leaders, from your pastors. It is not right to expect perfection. It is right and good to demand your leaders point you to your Savior. It is not right that you expect them to be your Savior. So don't lower your expectations, adjust them. Next is this. Remember your leaders are sinners too. Remember your leaders are sinners too. Number three is this. Know that failed leadership is wrong and not the way it's supposed to be. Remember God's good design? We talked about that at the beginning. That's how it's supposed to be, and we miss all the time. So it's okay to mourn. And, and that's the next point. Mourn the devastation that comes from veiled leadership. What do I mean by mourn? It's the same concept as lamenting and grieving, saying, this is terrible. This is wrong. It's not supposed to be this way. And it's okay to feel sad about that. It's okay to be upset about that. We have to be heartbroken that sin has caused this good thing God has created to go sideways and destroy things. It's not supposed to be this way. But in your morning, the last point, don't become cynical. This is the common response in our culture to most things. It's easy to become cynical rather than do this emotionally heavy thing of mourning and then moving past that to finding healing, which we'll get to in a second. Because what cynicism does, and this is what's interesting about cynicism, so it, cynicism gets half the equation right. Cynicism gets the part right like, hey, things are broken. but assumes that all leaders are corrupt and there is no point in hoping that any good can be done by a leader, that God really is in control of all things. So it gets the, the broken world part right, but it gets the, the part wrong that says God is good, he's in control, he's working all things together for your good. You have to have both of those. When your leaders hurt you, Don't become cynical. 
So this morning, I want to ask you, what are the ways that leadership has failed you? Can you acknowledge it? Can you call it out? Can you write it down? And then ask yourself, are you expecting human leaders to do what only God can do? And can you accept that human leaders will fail? I want us to own this by saying this, I will not be surprised by and will also mourn failed leadership. I will not be surprised by and will also mourn failed leadership. So we've covered the design of godly leadership, the devastation caused by failed leadership, and next we're going to look at the healing from failed leadership. The healing from failed leadership. This picture up here is uh, from a gentleman named Mather Biles. He's got a killer wig. Um, I don't think those are ever coming back unless the Hunger Games actually comes true. Uh, but Mather Biles um, was a minister during the American Revolution. And um, he was a really strong loyalist, actually. He did not support uh, the Sons of Liberty and their fight against the British. He thought we should um, stay loyal to the British government, um, to the king. And uh, what he became most famous for was he had a really quick wit. And somebody asked him one time uh, why he didn't support the Sons of Liberty. And he said this quote, and I think it's hilarious. He said, which is better, to be ruled by one tyrant 3,000 miles away or by 3,000 tyrants one mile away? What I love about it is that Biles understood this concept that corruption and sin affects every form of leadership. Whether it's a monarchy or a representative government, guess what? They're made up of humans, and we just discussed this, human sin, right? God has established this thing called leadership that's good, but there's no part of God's creation that sin hasn't touched, even representative government. And this is why the psalmist in Psalm 146 writes what he does. I want you to turn there. I want you to look at this text with your eyes. I think this is a great passage. All of Psalm 146, you should bookmark this. If you're ever struggling with leadership. The psalmist writes this in verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Listen here, every failure of a leader against you is an opportunity for you to forgive and for you to reset your hope and trust in Christ. Because sin touches everything, we naturally long for salvation. I mean, this is essentially the definition of leadership. We use this, a definition of leadership around here every once in a while. It said leadership is uh, moving people, leading people from uh, inferior point A to a superior point B. Right? And you're like, well, what is that about salvation? Well, you're really saying, hey, save me from this inferior thing. This inferior thing is worse. I want a better thing, so save me from this worse thing. Right? So if you're a team captain or you're a coach, you're saying, hey, save me from losing games and help me start winning games. 
if you are a sales manager, right, save us from less sales and help us get more sales. Save us from losing our jobs, right? We all long for salvation. But often we confuse these small salvations with our need for real salvation. Because here's the deal, no human can save you from your biggest need, which is to be saved from your sins and from death. And we often confuse those little salvations, those little wins, and think that's what we really need. Human can't save you because as this text tells us, every human dies. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. It's done. He can't do anything for you anymore. And that's why the command from this text is rooted in this. Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in men. And we know this, we see it often, so what are, what are our common responses, right? Our leader fails, they don't meet our expectations, and then what do we typically do? Well, usually a couple different things. A lot of times we just go find a new leader, a new savior. Well, that guy didn't work out, so we'll find this one. So we'll find someone that's more charming or more dynamic. Man, this guy, he's really good looking. He's really cool. He seems to have really good ideas, so we'll go after him. Or maybe we'll just find someone who's exactly the opposite of that one. And this is what our country goes through, it seems like, every election cycle, just swinging back and forth from one party to the next. They didn't know it, so we'll go try these guys, and then go try these guys, and back and forth and back and forth. Or maybe we look for someone exactly the same, but they're just not going to mess up this time. And then we get so frustrated, we just reject all leadership and go into anarchy but listen to me, anarchy is foolish because in anarchy, you're not not following somebody. You're following you. Because the reality is you can't not follow someone. You have to. We're always moving somewhere and we, we have to have somebody show us the way. And that's where the tension is. We can't not have leaders, and leaders are bound to fail us at some point. So what do we do? What do we do? It shouldn't surprise you when I say this, but the answer to failed leadership is the gospel. It may sound cliched because we talk about that a lot, but I want to explain exactly what I mean by this. Because failed leadership consists of at least one of two problems, sometimes multiple problems, but really it boils down to this. Either sinful leaders who usurp God's role in their leadership instead of leading people to God. So they decide that they're going to be the savior. They decide that they're going to do what they want. So you have the failure of the leader or you have sinful followers who trust their leader to do what only God can do. Or it's a little bit of a mix of the both, which is often the case. So you see the common thread between all those is what? Three-letter word, sin. 
And what is God's solution to the sin problem? Is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's his solution. I'm going to show you how this works. First is this. I want you to write this down. Because we need to trust God that sins were punished on the cross. We need to trust God that sins were punished on the cross. Both the failures of the leader and that of the follower. Jesus died for those sins. When leaders fail their followers, they take something from them that must be repaid. They've taken your trust. They've taken your dignity. They've taken something from you, and there is a debt to be paid. And if that leader is a follower of Christ, if that leader is your shepherd who has failed you, do you know who paid that debt? Christ paid that debt. Failure demands justice, and God executed justice on the cross. And if we're believers, we are called to leave justice in God's hands when we've been wronged. We have to trust the Lord with justice. Turn to Romans 12, 17 through 19. Paul writes this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here it is in verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Trusting God to deliver justice for the sins that were committed against you means trusting that either A, the leader's sins were taken care of on the cross of Christ. If they're a believer, that's true, no matter what. B, that if they're not a believer, that they will become a believer, or God will take care of it by destroying sin and death and Hades and punishing that sin for all eternity. Until that time, it means letting church discipline take place if that's necessary. Or if it's really serious, letting our government take care of that sin. But we don't take it into our own hands. We have to trust that justice was taken care of by God. The cross did that. But the cross did something else. And this is the second thing I want you to write down. And I'll be honest, this is the hardest thing to do. For some of you, it may feel impossible, but it is the most important part. And that is this, it is forgive the sins because of the death and resurrection of Christ. I know it's hard to believe that Jesus was punished for the sin of the leader who hurt you. I'm not going to unpack all that forgiveness looks like because Adam did that last week, but I want to tell you this. Withholding forgiveness and allowing bitterness to dwell inside of you and well up only hurts you. 
And that's a nasty trick of bitterness because when you get bitter, you're thinking, man, I'm so mad at them. I'm going to withhold the relationship from them. I'm going to grow bitter. And you think that you're hurting them, that you're punishing them for what they hurt you. But bitterness only destroys you. We have to learn to forgive. Now, forgiveness does not mean erasing accountability or the consequences of sin. And I can't state that clearly enough, especially in our current culture. Failed leaders do not get to get away with their failures. There are still consequences to sin. And Adam talked about this last week, right? But forgiveness means they're right before God when they're forgiven. The relationship with God is restored and they're right before us relationally. But that doesn't mean they get to go on as if nothing happened. When King David sinned, God forgave him and his relationship with God was restored. But the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba went on. He lost his son. His son died as a consequence of his sin. He lost his kingdom. He was chased around the rest of his life, a man on the run. There are consequences. The gospel of forgiveness for failed leaders means restored fellowship in the church. It does not necessarily mean restored leadership. Now, again, this goes back to my whole um, explanation that there's a, a spectrum of sin, right? There are sins that will automatically disqualify a pastor from leadership. But some, right, Adam probably sinned this last week at some point. That sin, whatever it was, isn't just calling him from leadership. I know because he cut me off in traffic and I was really mad at him. I'm not gonna, he's not going to get kicked out of this church and not be a leader because he cut me off. That's not true. He didn't cut me off. But as an example, right? But there are consequences to sin. And that's what, when I'm talking about forgiveness, I'm saying forgiveness means I don't hold that against you anymore. When you failed me. Next thing I want to challenge you to do is this, is don't quit church. Quitting is the easiest and most tempting thing to do. I'm not saying necessarily stay under the leadership of a church or a, a pastor who has failed you. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes you need to get out because it is unhealthy and it's a toxic environment but you need to get into a gospel-preaching, grace-filled body who will love you well, who are following God's good design of leadership. And our goal, like I mentioned before, is to be that for you here. See, the, char- the church is like Noah's Ark, right? The world's going under, and there's one boat that can rescue you, And you may not like being on that small, crowded, smelly boat. But all the people in that boat are the only people you've got. The church is God's mission for the world. It's his rescue boat for a world that's dying. You can't quit the church. Come, show up. That's why the author in Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to our love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't quit, church. 
And last, trust God's plan for biblical leadership again. The answer to failed leadership is not no leadership. Just because you get food poisoning doesn't mean you stop eating food. Just because governments fail doesn't mean human beings exist without government. Just because your leaders fail you doesn't mean you don't trust God and the men that he's put in place. This is why in Psalm 146, if you keep reading in verse 5, It says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Do you hold leaders to different standards of grace and forgiveness than others? Who do you need to forgive that has failed you as a leader? Do you trust God to take care of justice on leaders who have wronged you? I want you to own it by saying this, I will find healing from failed leadership through forgiveness because of Christ's work on the cross. I will find healing from failed leadership through forgiveness because of Christ's work on the cross. The last concept I want us to look at today is the hope of perfect leadership. I'll never forget the Christmas season, that's right, you should have known I was going to sneak in Christmas, it's a Drew sermon. Uh, I never forget the Christmas service I was sitting in back when I was in college, and the worship leader opened up the book of Isaiah and read the very popular passage, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called the mighty counselor the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He stopped reading, he looked up at us and he looked out into the congregation and he said, isn't that what we've always wanted? And it hit me and I said, yes, that is what I want. Because at the end of the day, every leader, no matter how godly he is, is not the leader that you really, really long for. What you really long for in your hearts is a leader who is perfect, who will make everything new again, who will fix all your problems. You want a king. And there is one. The Bible says that when Christ died and he ascended into heaven, he was placed at the right hand of God. And that's where he sits. And do you know what that position at the right hand of God is? It's a position of authority. It's a position of rulership. The Apostle John, as an old man, got the privilege of getting a sneak peek into the throne room of heaven in the future. And talks about how Revelation 5, how he gets to that throne room and there's a scroll that's brought to God. And the scroll, the idea of the scroll is this concept that, that that scroll contains all the judgments that God will roll out 
on earth. And if you're scared, oh, judgment sounds scary. It's the judgment that finally punishes all sin and, and finally makes all things new and all the hurt and all the tears and all the pain and all the sin and all the war is finally done away with. And he brings the scroll and John looks and he starts to weep because he looked out and there was nobody, nobody he could see that, that was worthy enough to step forward and open that scroll and finally fix everything. Turn to Revelation 5. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read a lot, but I want God's word to speak for itself. Starting in verse 5, John writes, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of of the saints, and they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jump ahead to verse 12 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's the leader your heart is longing for and that's the leader who is coming. He will come again. He will make all things new. So every time your leader fails you, let it remind you that there is another one coming, a savior who will make everything new, who will make everything right. And he is worthy and he is able to save you from the thing right now that you're longing for salvation to come for. He is King Jesus. And this is the big idea that I've been going for this entire sermon. And I want you to write this down. I want to close with this. I want us to own this today. I will offer forgiveness and place my trust in King Jesus. I will offer forgiveness and place my trust in King Jesus. That is the answer to all the leaders who have failed you. Trust King Jesus. He's coming and he is worthy. Let's pray. God, our hurts from sin of people we trust, they run so deep. But we know that you promised to heal. We know that the cross 
took care of all this sin and pain, what's wrong with the world. We know that Jesus defeated it, rising from the dead. Because of that, we can find life, we can have hope that all the hurt and the pain and the sorrow from all the failure is not the end of the story. But life is. Life upon life upon life. We long for you to come back to be the king of the world who you rightfully are. Because you are above any other leader. You are far above any other ruler that we could possibly put our trust in. We want you. And so we pray this morning, help us to find forgiveness, to offer forgiveness, and to place our trust and hope in you again. You are King Jesus, and we pray, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. Amen.